Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff. Sure, we sweat over the details that make our world richer. I'm your host and personal brain trainer, Cameron Boozer Jamari, live on camera for the first time because Whoa. we are coming from a very, we're coming live, not live at all, pre recorded from a very special studio place. I have some very special guests with me for this final episode of season one of Sweating the Small Stuff. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? It's an awful way to end your season. You know this, right? <laughs> Just to have us here. Have some nobodies on. Yeah. Who are... mm-hmm. So to you've my had, well, far right. This is the worst thing. See, is no, that no, no, you've no, no. Had, you've had some amazing guests on. So for us to f- finish the season, I feel I feel under underprepared. I'll yeah. Say. Well, unfortunately, I can't <laughs> get really a lot of them back. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what we do for season two. Fair but enough. for season one, wrapping up this year-long experiment into what sweating the small stuff really means. We have had a lot of transformation, and one of the biggest transformations is kind of the entire reason I want to be here in the first place. You see, to my far right, you might not recognize his face, but this is, or was, your personal (laughs) mind fiend. He has died, and from the ashes of that death came the fiery phoenix that is now Kian Buzar-Jameri, master and co-founder of... I believe it's called Frameforge Studios, young man. It is called the Frameforge. You we died? I died, I guess. It Jesus. was reborn in the fires yeah, of a phoenix. Yeah, it was called Thanksgiving. I ate a bunch of carbs. Now I'm in my cocoon. That's what <laughs> I'm doing right now. I've, I've chubbed up for the cocoon. <laughs> but yeah, thank you guys. This is uh, my friend and I, who we'll introduce in a second, started our own little studio. We have a YouTube channel called Frameforge, where we've been o- un- uploading a bunch of stuff about the fundamentals of filmmaking and how to make your make your stuff a little more interesting, how certain genres work, and a bunch of stuff about The Mandalorian. Take it away, Alan. <laughs> uh, my name is Alan. I co- uh, co- do. co-do the stuff, Frameforge. Uh, I usually do cinematography and whatnot. Mm-hmm. He's super good at it. Um, and I'm happy to be here. Yes. And so for any of you who are listening to the pure audio version of this, please do go to our YouTube channel, uh, <laughs> bit.ly forward slash STSS YouTube, because ideally, if we haven't totally messed this up or I haven't totally messed this up, there will be a video product to go along with this mm-hmm. because I want to come in to talk to you guys. Like I had the good fortune of being in town mm-hmm. and I was like, oh no, I know how we need to end this. I need to get... The two guys who I know have been doing a amazing job with the incredible, like, how do you make a film from the doing the good lighting, getting your F, right frame rates, getting your exposure, all the way down to how do you tell a good story? And one of the stories that we've definitely just spent an unrealistic amount of time on lately is Star Wars as a whole because The Mandalorian dropped and I needed to come in to talk to you guys because I want to know from a filmmaking standpoint, like, yeah, The Mandalorian is a story that is built in the deep and vast lore of Star Wars. But there was a time, pre-1977, where no one knew what a Star War was. And that's what we're here to talk about. Would that be BSS before Star Wars? Star, Be- before Star, Star Wars. D- uh, BSW. BSW, before, Wars. before the Star War. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm It's here. a deep lore joke. You're welcome. That's for no one. That That's for no one. one nowhere. Do you Sorry. think George Lucas does that? <laughs> he pro- like, dude, he, he probably goes, makes so many jokes to himself. He goes, he goes <laughs> like, I was born in 1948 before Star Wars, and and this was before all you my know, ideas came through. Do you think yeah. George Lucas you, stays at Skywalker Ranch because he's afraid of what he created? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I would love if he's talking. He's just like, yeah, this is like a THX 1138. Uh, nobody knows it because it was before Star Wars. And Star Wars is the best thing ever. Little like, do you guys know that Tesla was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, wait, we got to bring it back really fast. Okay. So. Jeff Bezos is just practically Guido. And I killed him. He's actually a CGI yeah. element. <laughs> I made him at he ILM. Sent to you. All right. but he lives you in a computer. Talked, no, every single joke we just made in the past few minutes is a product of a guy mm-hmm. had an idea for a story. Mm-hmm. A story that a lot of people want to think was much more original than it actually was. And it became a pop culture phenomenon. It became the very first concept of a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Prior to this, a movie had never been a singular idea that was so all-enthralling that you could guarantee ticket sales for. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what I want to talk to you guys about. Because people... I feel like a lot of people are happy to point out, and even more people don't know, Star Wars, as much as it is a space western, this concept that it is in space, is distinctly different from science fiction. Mm-hmm. And even more so, it pulls a lot of story elements from things most of the listeners of this podcast, if not lovers of movies, are very familiar with. Mm-hmm. So the first place I wanted to start with was, what is Star Wars and why is it not sci-fi? Mm-hmm. So... We, we jumped into, this is a companion piece to an episode that we also have on Frameforge where we talk about the Mandalorian uh, episodes three and four, and we get, a, we get deep into those, but we also talk about this idea that Star Wars is adapting things that weren't meant for, for the space genre into the space genre. And that's why it has such, it has a lot of possibilities that people can go with it, but sometimes it doesn't really do that because it's following the storyline of Han and Leia and Luke and their lineage. Mm-hmm. And the the main differentiation between a sci-fi show, science fiction, and science fantasy, which is Star Wars, is that science fiction in every episode of uh, Star Trek anything, that's pure science fiction where it's just like, it costs this much to do this thing in the world. Here's the physics and here's kind of the logic. Like, logic's huge. Star Wars needs very little of that. How- what you, is the you, force? You told me yesterday that a that a lightsaber needs to be charged. I didn't believe that. I believed it was an, ev- an everlasting crystal that would shoot a laser forever if you let it. I that's just how Star Wars works. Is that you don't need to think about the minutia because of this fantasy element. If you go into the Lord of the Rings, you're probably not thinking, oh, well, he has this many spell slots and he has to sleep. He has to take a long rest before he can do this. No, you think that like Gandalf can do whatever he wants because he's a wizard. Like that fantasy element is you can do whatever you want because this that's the point of this. We're trying to tell a story that's not bound by physics. Mm -hmm. And Star Wars can do that with the Western genre, with the samurai genre. Well, you know, samurai movies, Akira Kurosawa kind of stuff that that's the cool thing about The Mandalorian is that it's Western with a little bit of samurai in there because there's this code that the Mandalorians go by, but also that the first Star Wars movie was like that. Uh, we have an episode on Frameforge where we talk about CinemaScope and how the first, like, early Western movies really adopted CinemaScope because it's this widescreen aspect mm-hmm. ratio. And with the widescreen, Westerns have really wide landscapes. Mm-hmm. Star Wars, everybody was using CinemaScope by 1977. So Star Wars takes advantage of that by having really wide landscapes, really wide vistas. And by, by virtue of that, it is pulling from the Western genre. And wait, we can wait, then, wait. yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. We no, gotta go for it. Because we're going to, I want to dive really far into this Western stuff first. Sure. No. But for right now, I want to focus on this specific sci-fi versus uh, space fantasy. But this is what I mean, is that like sci-fi, that 
by by doing that, first you have the Western genre, but then mm-hmm. you move forward with like Darth Vader is straight up a samurai. Mm-hmm. That's samurai armor. You're pulling from all these other disparate uh, places, taking the things that you want to, the little bits that you want to, because it's a fantasy. You can do whatever you want to, and it's that's why. You don't think of two kids sitting with Star Trek toys being like, oh, I find that very illogical, Mr. Sulu. Like, they don't do that. You have two kids playing with Star Wars being like, ah, I got you, Kenobi. Ah, force push. And then you throw your thing across the room because you can. That's the thing you can do. You don't do that with Star Trek because it's it, it doesn't give you that much child-like wonder. As an adult, you think about Star Trek. <laughs> so. I, I think it is because there's not a single glimpse of earth and star wars mm. because let's let's really think about it why why do we think lord of the rings is fantasy okay. well because there's not a single thing that's bound to earth in that you know they we might see some humanoid you know people there's some there's humans in this but this is not on earth and it doesn't therefore doesn't abide to earth rules mm-hmm. right okay in star wars yeah, there's places that look like Earth. Uh, episode four looks like Florida, you know. Uh, and but the thing is, and also we also have like human creatures. You know, mm-hmm. we have humans in it. But the thing is, we're far from Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't stay abound their rules. Uh, all common sense leaves behind. Because guess what? It's it's removed from it. You know, there's there's not a single like. How can I say this? There's not a single uh, hint that Earth even existed in Star Wars. Right? Literally a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. Exactly. Because yeah. trying to say before mm-hmm. time immemorial, yeah. in a place you are not familiar mm-hmm. with, and this it, stuff happens. And unlike yeah. in Star Trek, in Star Trek they always reference Earth. Mm-hmm. They always say, we are humans. Never in Star Wars do you ever hear the words, I am human. That is a human. That's fair, yeah. I don't think I've you really know? heard that. So that's why I think Star Wars is more of a fantasy because it has nothing to do with Earth and it's in this realm. Yeah. You know, that's that's me. There's there's no I, I don't have the mathematics or like a <laughs> schematic here saying like yeah this is this, but because it's so removed from us, therefore it can do whatever it wants, and that's why I think it has a nice fantasy aspect because, you know, uh, back in the ye old times uh, it, when. You know, back in the day, there was no internet, no nothing, and mm-hmm. Star Wars was about to come out. Everybody wanted to be a cowboy. Everybody wanted to be an astronaut. Everybody wanted to be this. And then in comes in this movie who's like, hey, kid, do you like everything? Because <laughs> we're about to give you everything. You're about to go on adventures with princesses and laser pistols. Mm-hmm. like and swords. In space. In space. spaceships. Yeah. With, like, space samurais and space cowboys. Do you like dogs? Here's a 300-pound one, and it walks <laughs> in two legs. Like, what? And he talks real funny, <laughs> He actively threatens to kill you if you don't yeah. play chess or let it win at chess. Yeah. He'll rip your arms off. Yes. It's great. So that's why that's why I personally believe that it makes it into a uh, fantasy and not science fiction. Mm-hmm. And I think you both have given me an excellent segment into, obviously, the other thing I want to talk about, which is Star Wars cribs a lot from other things around it. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that it feels wholly original in that this was the first real time. And, like, this was one of the first movies where... Like, you were, like, looking at this concept of, like, space travel and science fiction, with air quotes, being something painted that, like, it was more the backdrop and it was the actual focal point. Like, a lot of other movies and things that have to do with space travel, the act of space travel is the focal point. Not the act of a magical quest to save princesses and fight Mm -hmm. a giant space death ball 
and blow it up with your proton torpedoes. Yeah. And so what I wanted to talk about is like you guys have a fantastic knowledge of some of the places where they cribbed from in order to paint this universe. And I'd like to talk what were some of those sources and how did we end up seeing them play out in the at least the original trilogy? Mm, okay. Well, I mean, especially for episode four, like alone, you have the two warring samurai. You mm-hmm. have uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's very chivalrous, and then you have Darth Vader, who's succumbed to greed and everything else, and that he is ruthless and, like, mean in all of those ways. That you see him, he's just the pinnacle of darkness, literally in a completely pitch-black costume. And, like, that, those images alone strike the the audience member of, like, okay, good and evil. But then also you see their lightsabers are basically samurai swords. And that that alone pitches from that entire genre. But then also you have the the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's kind of like this lonely hermit. Mm-hmm. And that that does go from samurai movies, but also is a thing in Westerns, where you have the lone gunslinger. You have the lone samurai. Mm-hmm. Literally one of them is uh, Ichi... No, not Ichi the Killer. There's there's one that's the blind samurai. I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember what his name is. But Ichi like, the Killer is a good movie, though. It's so. really good. But yeah, that's like a thing, is that there are the lone samurai that goes and helps people. And that's basically what he's doing for Luke. And... The, the cool thing about movies, movies that do something that's really interesting is they use, and I've mentioned this on like eight other things, is intertextuality. There's a really good like YouTube uh, episode of The Nerd Writer where he talks about it, where you pull things from other stuff mm-hmm. so the audience member doesn't need to think about it. Mm-hmm. So you have Obi-Wan Kenobi, who mm-hmm. is the archetype from the samurai. Same thing with Darth Vader. You have... Uh, Luke Skywalker, who's your heroic journey character, who's your neutral mask. He doesn't have too many interesting things to say because you're supposed to say, hey, he's like me. I'm someone that wants adventure. He wants adventure. Now we, I can go on this and put myself in their place. When they ask a question, I'm probably asking the same question. Those are all the things that they're pulling from intertextually in that way. You also have the princess. You mm-hmm. have the, the cool smuggler guy in Han Solo. You have the animal character you have the two bumbling idiot characters that are now droids you have c3po and r2d2 so almost every character that is a character mm-hmm. in the first in the uh beginning trilogy all of them you could pull from any other movie and they're that same kind of archetype mm-hmm. and they all work together really well because it's a match a mashup of them that doesn't feel like a mashup it doesn't feel like you're pulling them straight from another movie but it feels like that character now lives in this world Okay, so yeah. How about you, my man? I think Star Wars does... How can I say this? Star Wars, like you said, Star Wars definitely borrows from a lot of things, but it's hyper-original when it comes about its its execution. Oh, my God. What What is with my phone? I I set it to quiet. Are you serious? I didn't catch that. Are you serious? Literally, look at that. The the volume's off. You're okay? No, look at it. I try. I look at it. Jesus, he didn't catch that. So the the thing thing with... uh, Star Wars is is just like again, it's super original with like its execution and everything. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who like nobody, um, especially back then, wanted to make a space movie like this. Yeah, because they think, oh, the budget's gonna be like through the dang old roof. It'd be right? so hard. There's, there's no way, like one, it's hard. It's gonna be just gone awful. Like who's gonna relate to this? When I feel like George Lucas was just trying to relate to people's fantasies more than anything. Because let's admit, the star, uh, the the story is the quest for good, right? Nothing original from that. Mm-hmm. It's just its execution was. Also, there's characters for everyone, literally everyone. There is, how can I say this? Like you said, you have your two dumb robots. It's <laughs> like, oh, there's the comedy in this movie. Great. The comedy is great. Oh, and then like you have uh, Han Solo, right? And it's like, oh, 
here we have the uh, the troubled romance and, and like uh, he's a bad boy and you know like what's going to happen here so it has something for those people that really want that there's uh there's just so much for everyone so that's why i think that because of star wars because of all these things lucas the only thing he did was hey i can balance all these genres into something that's cohesive but i can also do it in an original way that pops out mm-hmm. right if you Google what the day that Star Wars came out, what other mm. movies came out with it? Exactly. Exactly. It's not even worth talking about because Star Wars came out and it did like the coolest new thing. Sorry, the cool, the cool old thing in a new <laughs> yeah. way, and yeah. here it is. Yeah, that's yeah. all it did. And right. like, it, this is not me crapping on it or anything like that. It's legendary, and mm. I like, I like it, but it's that's that's really it. And something that. I swear, I, I'm surprised I haven't brought up yet, is the, I mean, I brought up the heroic journey, but the man with a thousand faces, the Joseph Campbell book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like, like you said, he literally just took, he's just like, okay, cool, here's all these archetypes that I need to put in, now let's pick and choose what we want. Let's pick and choose where they mm-hmm. come from. And it's legitimately straight up the exact heroic journey verbatim. If you plot it out, it works exactly perfectly. Mm-hmm. And you pointed out the it's heroic space. journey. Mm-hmm. is kind of like a like everyone points to Star Wars as being like this is if you wanted a like play by play textbook example of what the heroic journey looks like for all the beats this is it and real fast can you kind of hit us with the broad strokes of what really is the arc of the heroic journey sure so uh not the most recent three movies <laughs> exactly or the Savage. or the other th- recent three movies yeah, no, there's, there's just a the reason first three movies that the original trilogy stands out and is the quintessential classic compared to the other two attempts at star wars trilogies but really what what is those pieces sure so i don't have it completely memorized dan Harmon has his diet version of it where it's literally only eight words mm-hmm. and the main idea is that you have your character who mm-hmm. is set in their ways they're they're where they are and they might be okay with it. They might not be, but regardless, they're stuck where they are. Mm. So if your main character, they're where they are, and then there's a call to action, which means that there is something that's pulling them away from where they've been for their lives. And then either by virtue of them wanting to go out and do it, or by virtue of something pushing them out, they are thrust out of there. They cross what's called the threshold. Mm-hmm. So in like uh, Lord of the Rings, they go. They literally, Samwise literally says, he's just like, if I take one more step, this is going to be farther than I've ever been. And then Frodo helps him, and it's amazing. And that's the threshold. They go as a choice. Luke gets his family killed <laughs> on accident, and they get incinerated. And that's his call to... Was it like, on accident? Uh, no, it wasn't on accident. It, there's like say, make, there's a theory. You make happens. it seem like he left the stove I'm, on. I'm, I'm, <laughs> No, there's a there's a theory that Boba Fett killed them because he says no. So Darth Vader says no disintegrations, and the only people you ever see that are disintegrated more or less are Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. And so it's assumed that like Darth Vader knew about them and was just like they're my family. And then he sees that they're disintegrated. He's like, my oh, beans. And then he, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the Force Ghost mom hears about this. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, that was that was a little tangent Fun joke. Tangent. But but that's what I mean. He's thrust out of there, and then now he has his trials to become a hero. Where first off, he meets with a sage. So the sage character is straight up Obi Wan Kenobi. That person then helps him through the heroic journey, and usually, legitimately, this is in the heroic journey. They usually die. Obi Wan dies pretty soon in the uh, adventure. Then by trials that the 
uh, main character goes through what's called the abyss. There's actually a part that's called either the meeting with the father or meeting with the uh, with the goddess. Mm-hmm. And the father is Darth Vader, technically. You don't learn that until the second movie, but mm-hmm. it technically is true. As well as the goddess. The goddess character is Leia. He meets with her and is just like, oh, hey. And she's just like, you're a little short to be a stormtrooper. Ha ha. And you're like, oh, she's a play on the this cool little you know princess character, which is actually spunky. Anyway, so you have all of that. Those are kind of in the middle. They can be scooched around. But then you have the abyss. The abyss is when your character has to overcome a really hard obstacle or a really hard trial, and then they become the hero. Mm-hmm. In the first movie, there is kind of that, which is the trench run. Mm-hmm. There isn't really much other hardship besides that, as well as when he's like shooting the guns on the Millennium Falcon to get out. Uh, but then later, he has the trial of the tree, where he goes in the tree, he actually fails that's one of the abyss things Mm -hmm. and then after doing all of that after having all of those adventures they have their final trial which is confronting uh yeah it's either the meeting with the goddess or confronting the father those Mm -hmm. are the two but he actually does confront the father in the trench run he succeeds and then comes back changed so a, a heroic journey hero doesn't need to succeed. Like Frodo doesn't succeed. But regardless, there's always the return having changed. Mm-hmm. So he technically doesn't return back to his home, but he returns from his adventure having learned that he actually has the force, that there is this, he can he has this place in this this war. And mm-hmm. so that's the heroic journey in a nutshell. There's better versions of it. If you if if you want like a speedrun version of it, like the Cliff Notes version, Dan Harmon has a really good uh uh like he calls it his plot circle where he just takes a circle divides it into eight sections then has a word for each of them and those are the sections of the heroic journey and every episode of rick and morty is set by that because he's kind of lazy about that but it's okay because it's still good and so in star wars especially episode four to episode five Mm -hmm. there's that juxtaposition between in episode four the call to adventure is like i don't know anything about anything Mm -hmm. and now i'm gonna go deal with this and then I'm going to meet the goddess and do all this stuff and trench run. And now I'm awesome. Yeah. Juxtaposed with, I am awesome and I don't know any of this. And I'm going to fail the trial of the tree. And then I'm going to lose my hand to my literal father. <laughs> and then I'm going to come back and not feel too great about it. Yeah. And they're both, this like you see, like a literal mirror. The mm-hmm. same character following the same path mm-hmm. with drastically different outcomes. Yeah. And then, the, like, the nice, like, payoff resolution and eventual catharsis for different characters as well in the final movie. But the point to keep in mind here is these are not, like, George Lucas did not invent the hero's journey yeah. for this movie. He took elements that I imagine a lot of other people at that point, and maybe you guys have some sense of how many other folks were probably pulling hero's journey it's concepts in every movie, of the lo- almost ever, almost. Yeah. yeah, and there's like, and then also the concepts of like cowboys and rocket men, things that are just familiar enough that if I told you about them, you would not have to stretch your imagination mm-hmm. to understand what I was talking about, but just different enough that they keep you engaged and make you think, oh, but this sage, when he dies, he comes back as a force ghost, mm-hmm. and he's gonna talk to me, and it's gonna be kind of weird. I got to think about when he's actually talking to me. When am I ever really alone? And it'll become a dystopian <laughs> nightmare about privacy. And we'll get to that on a later episode. <laughs> but for now, that's exactly the kinds of things that I was hoping to talk to you about. It's seeing those beats play out. And maybe if you will, how much time we got left? We got about six minutes. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so around five, I'd say. As we're kind of wrapping up, you know, I love to keep these episodes on the shorter side. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really fun. If we gave a little taste of, since The Mandalorian, at this point, I imagine it will have completed its run because I always like to record these things ahead of time. Hello, 2020. 
Yes. Did they assume? This will be 2020. Oh, okay then. Um, what do you think in terms of how the most recent installment that we are familiar with of Star Wars as a standalone thing, it leans real hard into the Western genre. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the Mandalorian as an extension of this space fantasy, space western work? You want to go first? Because I know you guys have been pumping out those episodes yeah. all about the Mandalorian, and it's been one of my favorite things to watch on your channel. Oh, thank you. I think that with the Mandalorian coming out, I feel that that is the first, like, how can I say this? We, we just, we just, we punctured a hole in Disney's shield, right? In their shield of like, you know, everything has to be the Disney way or the highway, Mm -hmm. right? And now we just released these, this uh, semi-violent, you know, Western movie, right? Something that we haven't seen in quite literal ages, right? We haven't seen something this close to a Western in a while, um, Good in a while. Sorry, let me correct that. <laughs> and I think that um, I think it's a good move. The fact that I've said this before, it doesn't. You don't have to know everything about Star Wars mm-hmm. for this for you to walk in on this, right? You can just come in with fresh eyes and, and still enjoy it. I think that it's beautifully done. I think John Favreau is doing really good at writing so far. Um, but the only, I guess, how can I say this? The only problem that I really see with it is that due to its success, something else might come from it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because let's money brings problems and problems will bring their own th- set of things. They bring hate. Hate leads to anger. Anger leads to suffering. Yeah. Yoda suffering said it all. the path to the Disney <laughs> side of the force. <laughs> <laughs> was there anything else you want to No, that's it, yeah. really. I mean, I, so far, the only episodes of The Mandalorian that have come out for us are episodes one through four. And one through three, really, really strong in their portrayal of this character and they uh showing the character as a western gunslinger and you see little tidbits of their past and then you see them act out like what that would entail so like a a character like him having this quote-unquote tortured past where like his family's taken from him and he was a kid and he doesn't like seeing defenseless kids or defenseless young things be suffering in any way and so that basically informs so far everything that we've seen from him. And I think that that as a Western, like as a character in a Western or a character as a samurai works perfectly because they're usually, their protagonist is usually kind of overpowered a little bit in a way that they're, they're very to themselves. They have a dark past. And on top of that, they're in some sort of insert environment here where that requires them to act on it. Like mm-hmm. they need to come in and fix something they need to come in and uh get rid of a bad person Mm -hmm. and that's that's basically the formula that we've always seen in westerns and in uh samurai movies and applying that to this is perfect because not only do we have a character who's not you know by birth a mandalorian but by someone that is they have their past that we see and those are things that we can empathize with that we're like i don't know what a mandalorian are you kidding me (laughs) this is what the heck and then we so on the episode that we talk about on the frameforge channel I didn't know half the things you've mentioned about Mandalorians and that we are slowly fed that information over the episodes and it it works perfectly that we have our, you know, our heroic journey main character who's overcoming his trials and getting to the getting to the end. And I think that those two genres work perfectly for that archetype. 
All right. Well, I can safely say that I think this is an amazing place to end season one yeah. of the Sweating the Small oh, Stuff podcast. Oh, my God. Appreciate thank you guys it. so much for, like, Kian, thank you so much for all your contributions to all of the episodes. Alan, thanks for, you know, always being a fan, listening. I'm going to just putting up a few more lives for you. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's like this is also the big reason I want to have you on is, like, where do we get to follow up with your awesome stuff? Because, seriously, it's so fun getting to listen to your incredibly insightful takes on, like, what it takes not to just make like a cinematically beautiful film, but to make a film that people would want to watch or a story that people want to see and hear. Yeah. Where do we find you? Cool. Well, we have our YouTube channel, Frameforge, uh, where we're constantly putting stuff out. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're slowly rolling out the Facebook page and the Instagram page and all that kind of stuff. But mostly, we're really proud of what we're making with the YouTube channel mm-hmm. and that... I mean, it's really just our personalities coming out and talking about the things that we already... The thing that is good about YouTube right now is that authenticity is big and that, like, the VFX Artist React series is just the Corridor crew talking about stuff they already knew in a context people didn't already know. Mm -hmm. And for us, a lot of these things aren't... And it's not like we're genius Nosferatu. I was going to say Nosferatu and (laughs) the other one, the Nostradamus. That, like, these are just things that you understand after making a lot of things and understanding a little bit of the backbone of filmmaking. And it's good for us to talk about it. How about about you, I think uh, what we bring to the table really is just a nice, fun, simple environment where you can learn, like, about what your passion is, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Filmmaking is not for everybody. It really isn't. Mm -hmm. But if you Mm -hmm. come and visit the channel, you you can see two people that are clearly into it. And as we learn, we want to teach. And... I think um, we we may not be the best place to start. We might not be the best uh, place to end, but we're on that journey with you, and we want to see it through. And you'll I mean, find a friend. I yeah. really like, as a person who's trying to do his own form of content creation, you guys have taught me all sorts of things really valuable about like the importance of empathy in telling a story. It doesn't matter what kind of story you're telling. And the importance of like everything down to the frames per second you show something in yeah. can make a huge difference. So, mm-hmm. man, just Gemini. In man. case you, <laughs> in case you don't see it, mm-hmm. or I'll make sure to have links in the show notes. I'll make sure to put links anywhere I can think of. Ooh. But the Frameforge YouTube channel, definitely check it out. Definitely check out Keon and Alan on all your social medias. <laughs> and remember to subscribe and like and let us know what you think of Swing the Small Stuff. Let us know what you liked about season one, what you would like to see us do differently as we move forward. And as always, I've been your personal brain trainer, Cameron Buzajmeri, reminding you, from movies to media to the world around us, it's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. Later. (laughs) (laughs) Did I check the frame rate? That was good. Uh, Hopefully. We can't look like dinguses on this podcast.